It's good to see you all. Good morning. So we're coming back to our study on procrastination, the last of a three-part series. I think I have shared with you a personal testimony of this, is uh, being a Brazilian is to be a chronic procrastination <laughs> procrastinator. Um, and, and I think, you know, I've been talking to different people the, this past few weeks, just coming to the realization that we all fall in these in these things one way or another. Um, and the way that we had approached it was one kind of had the diagnosis in the first one, the description of the issue uh, through the biblical lenses, how does the Bible describe it? Um, in the second week, we covered uh, how do we deal with those heart motivations behind it, either fear of failure, um, the fear of being incapable, or uh, the desire for comfort, um, or pride. I just can't do, I, I'm just used to do the things last minute, and that's why I do it. Or I can't do many things at once. And so, um, it, that today is going to be more practical, kind of a step-by-step -step, uh, in terms of behavior. Uh, so replacing, I titled it, uh, Replacing Habits and Pursuing Faithfulness. So, and if you're here getting just the, the tail end of this lecture, I would advise you to listen to the other ones. Um, otherwise, you're just working on behavior change. And, and that really doesn't please the Lord if you, it won't last long. <laughs> so having the right motivation, addressing the heart, repenting, and then, then you can start those things, doing these things at the same time. Um, all right. Um, this is going to be my last Sunday until we go to Brazil, so uh, please be praying for us as we go. Uh, it's going to be a very busy trip, uh, visiting family. Then we met with um, a missionary that basically would be doing the, the south part of the trip, uh, looking for potential places for church plant, meeting people in the area um, that has been reached out by the missionary. So he has a full calendar of things for us. I'm like, I don't know if we're going to be, be able to do all of this, but uh, we do have a couple of days there in the South where we're just going to relax and enjoy the time. But in any case, if you remember, please keep us in your prayers. Um, and then we still have, I believe, three or four more uh, classes on uh, the equipping hour uh, with the practical theology class. And what will happen will be, it's a little different. Instead of having teaching time, we actually want to watch counseling sessions, and it will be focusing on uh, domestic violence. And so that will be a really good discussion with Dylan and Eric. Uh, we're going to watch those videos, and we'll discuss the things that we're seeing. All right? So this is, you know, where we're at, where we're heading, um, and how about we come to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you so much for um, your word that is true uh, to us and that is perfectly sufficient for every single issue that we face in this life. Lord, we're thankful for forgiveness that we find in Jesus. Even as I prepare these lessons, I think about um, all the ways that I have not been using my time wisely. I pray, Father, that you would Continue to encourage us um, and challenge us to honor you with everything that we have and everything that we are. We are thankful and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main passage that we'll be, gonna, we'll be 
focusing is Ephesians chapter 5. Um, Ephesians 5. I used a couple of books on, on the notes here. Sometimes I'll just uh, quote the whole thing. I think I couldn't have put any better words. Uh, one of them is um, a book by Dr. Phil uh, Moser. He's a TMS graduate. And it is called Taking Back the Time, Biblical Strategies for Overcoming Procrastination. It's a little thin booklet. It has memory verses and kind of activities to help uh, people to implement the truths that they're learning. And so he gives kind of a four, um, I don't like using the word four step, but four principles as we apply this text. And so I'm going to explain a little bit the passage and then we go into these four principles that we can apply. And then lastly, I'll close with um, talking about rest. Right? We talk a lot about work and redeeming the time. And how about rest? Um, and that is primarily coming from uh, just a thin book actually called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And if I can recommend you a book to read this summer, read that book. I, I'm, I, I used to read that book um, at least once a year. And every time I read it, it's just a lot of conviction, a lot of good reminders from scripture. It, why am I so crazy busy? Am I supposed to be like this? <laughs> Does this honor the Lord? And so um, there's some principles there that I, I have to keep, become, keep coming back again and again. So it is a thin book. It's a book for crazy busy people. They don't have time to read that much. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 15 through verses uh, uh, verse 18. And you remember this. Is it still fresh in your mind? We just studied these texts in our fellowship group. So, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But, if, but be filled with the Spirit. And then speaking with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even God the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So you remember that this section is smack dab there in the half of um, Ephesians, that is the practical instructions. Because you are this in Christ, this is how you ought to live in Christ. And so the way we Christians deal with um, our uh, marriages is different. The way that we Christians deal with um, parenting is different. And the way that we deal with our priorities and time is different. So a few notes that I want to make there uh, is the word redeeming. It literally means buying from. Um, it's used out of parts of scripture. And it basically is you look back at your past life as an unbeliever and how unbelievers live for themselves. They lived in darkness, and they wasted their time. And now as Christians, we understand that our time is not our own. It belongs to the Lord, and we want to use it to live our lives that are pleasing to him. So um, he describes this time that we're living in as a, 
uh, at evil days. Um, and that really is the, the motivation for us to live. You know, we're not still in the yet, the end of times, on the tribulation time, but there are a lot of elements that um, overlap with what's going to happen in tribulation. Satan is behind a lot of things in this world, and he's going to use anything to distract us from our mission to live for God's glory using our time. Um, a few other things here I wanted to make note is uh, the reference about uh, why in the world he's talking about being drunk and the connection with uh, redeeming the time. Um, the verse might be specifically alluding to Proverbs 20, verse 1, which says, Wine is a mocker, and a strong ring is a brawler, and whoever is led astray it is not is not wise. So loss of self-control is what characterizes the state of a drunk. And drunkenness produces nothing beneficial for a believer and certainly does nothing to build up the body of Christ. In this way, drunkenness is a perfect example of a foolish behavior. So as the commentator puts it, he says, achieves nothing for the individual in their relationship with the Lord, nor the body of Christ. In fact, wastefulness and lack of self-control conveyed by the word debauchery could never describe the lives of those who found in Christ the source and the way of wisdom. But there is an alternative, and it is a wise living expected of a believer and is characterized by being filled with the Spirit. Just as the alcohol negatively uh, affects a person's conscientious judgment, so does the Spirit affect positively the Christians. So the manifestation of alcoholic intoxication is a lack of self-control. Uh, we studied that previous classes. But while the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, it's the opposite. So that we understand the context, then we can move on to the application. All right. So the first principle is, this is how uh, Dr. Moser uh, calls it, analyze. He is referring particularly to the part where it says, look carefully how you walk. So the, and, and that word really, the analyze, the look carefully has been used in different passages of scripture. It's basically look closely, exactly, and accurately. You want to be trying to answer the question, where am I wasting time without realizing it? Where am I wasting time without realizing it? A good way to keep track is to journal how you're doing with your time. Um, uh, pretty much all my counselees, I have them do this uh, to take notes of what they're doing every 30 minutes or every hour just to keep track. What, what are you doing? Sometimes we don't even realize it. And I think it's quite enlightening when I, I, they come back and it's like, boy, I didn't know that I spent this much time doing that or this. Um, it's just a, a good way of keeping track of things. We must channel all our activities through the mindset of what is eternal. Can someone open for us uh, Colossians chapter 3 and read verse 2 and 4? How, how do we get to define and, and look carefully um, how is our time being managed? Colossians 3 and they can read verses 2 through 4. All right, thank you, Josh. Thank you. So we, one should give thought to the fact that some of our activities, when compared to eternity, are truly praiseworthy, but others are simply trivial. 
here we should be careful of warning people to guard them from the extremes and removing themselves from the world, right? It's, it's the other extremes, like, well, you can't do anything worth of leisure, so I, I want to give that warning. God can use believers in any sphere of their lives to reach out to the unbelieving world. For example, when you're playing sports in a club, you get to strike a conversation with someone that doesn't come to church. So I'm not advocating that extreme. What they need to do is to start looking attentively to the amount of time invested in those activities through the lenses of eternity. It could be hard to take a decision to drop some pleasurable activities, but the Bible is full of examples of people who left their comfort behind in order to be more committed to God's kingdom. A good example of self-denial is Moses in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. Can someone else read that one? Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 26. How did Moses deny his... Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 26. Thank you, Andrew. Very good. So, and I think it, it is helpful for us to think in these terms, right? La the previous weeks, we talked about the desire for comfort and pleasure as being a great motivation for people who procrastinate. Um, Moses, he turned his eyes away from the flitting pressures of this world because his mind was consumed with the idea of eternity. Many of us, uh, I think, tend to read this passage and, and really think and neglect to ponder what M Moses was actually missing out. I mean, he, he was the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Money, comfort, pleasure, happiness, popularity, recognition, ease. As um, this counselor puts it, period, he points it out, these things all of us long for and feel of us would forfeit, forfeit. But he left it off because he saw the glory of Christ as being more important than the things of this life. <clears throat> I love how a friend of mine has defined distractions. Um, he, uh, there's actually this booklet in the library. I don't know, maybe someone is reading it. It's on gaming, a biblical perspective of, of playing video games. And he compares distractions as a side mission on an RPG game. You know, you have the main mission and you have the secondary missions that you take on to, um, you know, they're entertaining, you get less points for taking them, but they're entertaining. He said, distractions aren't ev uh, are everywhere, aren't they? So this is Reagan Rose, my friend, saying in the book. And he says, in an RPG game, for example, there is a big quest that makes up to the, the main storyline, but there's also the side quests you can undertake. These unrelated adventures are easier to accomplish, but they also pay out much smaller rewards than the main quest. And while the side quests might be fun and moderately rewarding, if you spend all your time engaging in these diversions, you will never beat the main quest. I think for some Christians, he says, video games themselves can become like a side quest, a side quest a diversion from the main mission of life. That can happen with anything, not just with video games. Entertainment is not necessarily sinful, but it needs to be put in its proper place. Anything, a job, a hobby, or video games can get in the way of the mission of Jesus has given us, if you let it. So the quest of the Christian life is far too important a mission to be sidetracked with anything else. 
But what exactly is the quest of the Christian life? What are we supposed to be doing with our time here on earth? I think 2 Corinthians 5, 9 defines that well. Like we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you drink or you eat or you do anything, you do it for the glory of God. So can we thank God for this and enjoy it for that time and maybe using that as a time of rest? Sure. Are we using that too much to the detriment of the things that he has entrusted it to us? All right. So kind of focused a little bit on the pleasure and the comfort seeking. I want to go on the other end. Uh, it's helpful to make an observation about a particular kind of procrastinators, one that will fall into the category of busy procrastinators. Those who are always have good intentions and mean to be helpful to others. Here are those who are always anxious about doing more or who either leave um, many projects undone or are constantly feeling guilty for not doing enough of some other activity. They live, as Kevin DeYoung describes them, under the terror of total obligation. Terror of total obligation. I just have to do more. I, I think I see myself a lot in this. He describes his own struggle. He says, surely there are many Christians who are terribly busy because they, they sense, rely, uh, want to be obedient to, to God. We hear sermons that convict us for not praying more. We read books that convince us to do more for global hunger. We talk to friends who inspire us to give more and read more and witness, witness more. The need seems so urgent the workers seem so few, and if we don't do something, who will? We want to be involved. We want to make a difference. We want to do what is expected of us, but there is that there just doesn't seem to be enough time. Um, so I kind of repeated some of the notes in last, week, last week that we weren't able to cover. And he says, um, you know, this is actually part of my thesis. I said, know your abilities and your calling. We all have different gifts, and different callings. Every Christian must be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. We know this. Some people will be more gifted in sharing the gospel than others. We are all called to counsel one another. Some people will be more gifted in that area. That shouldn't be an excuse for us not to do anything, but it does give us an end to say, where God has gifted me the most. I'm going to develop that gift. So every Christian should be involved in the Great Commission, but not everyone will move overseas. Every Christian should uh, oppose abortion, but not everyone will adopt or volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. We need Christians who spend their lives improving inner city schools or Christians who dream, whose dream is to get great theological books translated into Chinese. <laughs> um, and we need Christians who don't make others feel guilty or don't feel guilty themselves when one of us follow a different passion than another. Um, so I thought that was pretty encouraging, just realizing we have different giftedness, we have different callings. So as we assess, and we're moving on, it will become clearer. Second principle is prioritize. Prioritize, and it's based on the part of the verse that says, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So become, because we're living in the last days and Christ will hold us accountable for everything 
that we have ever done with our time, we should take into consideration which are our priorities. The point is to answer the question, am I investing time in what is truly important? Am I investing the time in what is truly important? The procrastinator does not have a practical discernment of what is not important or what is urgent. He tends to postpone important things and he spends a lot of his time on things that are not important, which takes him to the path of putting off fires. Now this is urgent because I didn't take care of it before. Now it's urgent and I have to deal with it. He should prayerfully consider um, that their which, which are their priorities and make the best effort to not neglect them in dependence of the Lord. For example, uh, our spiritual disciplines are supposed to be on the top of our priorities. Matthew 6.33 says what? Anyone memorize it? Matthew 6.33? You can, you can read it. <laughs> Very good. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So um, our spiritual discipline should be at the top of our priorities, and leisure time not take precedence over it. We should consider carefully what activities that might be hindering our spiritual growth in any way. The author of Hebrews reminds us to cast off from ourselves any habits, both sinful and not sinful, that might be hindering our ability to run freely in our pursuit of Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So weights really can be anything, even things that are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but from enjoying a pleasant hobby or to spend too much time uh, fellowshipping with other believers. I, I do remember that I, I had it sometimes spent hours after the service and to the neglect of my own family back home. So understanding that, I realized, you know, I, I have people in my life that also are important, and I just need to have, keep in control of these things, you know, not uh, spend too much time. Um, those of us that are in ministry, I think it's such a temptation to be consumed with even church activities, because we're thinking, while well, we're doing for the Lord, we're doing for the Lord, and while serving your family is also to, for the Lord. Um, the key here is realizing what are the motivations behind these activities and the priorities that you might be avoiding. Martha is a good example of serving God but neglecting the important priorities. On this, Jesus called her out. He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I I realized that this here for me wasn't a, a big issue to think that I am the hero. I am the person that will be helping the other, that I'm gonna, I need to be available. I need to take care of, of this phone call and, and handle this immediately because no, no one else will. And, and it's really, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I knew that my, in my heart, it was a temptation to think I am that person. And I'm not trusting that God might have someone else and that I can point them to someone else. You know, brother, I'm really 
busy right now, but I know someone else that would be eager to help you. How about you talk to so-and-so? I think he'll be a great encouragement to you. So, and this principle, I think one of the things that I appreciated about the book is that how he points uh, to Jesus, uh, Dr. Kevin Young, how he points to Jesus' priorities. He knew his priorities, even though he was a very busy man. He says, many of us are so familiar with the Gospels that we fail to see the obvious. Jesus was a very busy man. Um, he talks about how the, the Gospel of Mark constantly used the word immediately. It's Jesus going from one thing to the next and to the next and to the next. It's like, does this man ever sleep? He never <laughs> stops. Does he eat? Does he use the bathroom? It, it's just, he constantly on the move. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his public, public ministry by teaching in a synagogue, rebuking an unclean spirit, caring for Simon's mother-in-law, then staying up late into the night, healing many who were sick with various diseases and casting out demons. At one point, Jesus was too, be- too busy to even eat, and his family thought he was going crazy. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Jesus had crowds coming to him all the time. He had people looking for him, demanding his time and attention. The impression that we get from the Gospels is that almost every day for three years, he's preaching, healing, and casting out demons. And I think I put this quote there for you. Um, you think the way he describes it is a, a little funny. He says, if Jesus was alive today, he would get more emails than any of us. He would have people calling his cell phone all the time. He would have a zillion requests for interviews, television appearances, conference gigs. Jesus did not float above the fray, untouched by the pressures of normal human existence. Our Lord, and I don't like how much he says, did not sit around listening to harp music all day while the angels brought him heavily bananas. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15 says. And that includes the temptation of being sinfully busy. But he wasn't. Sinful, that is. He was busy, but never in a way that made him frantic, anxious, irritable, proud, envious, or distracted by lesser things. When Al Capernaum waited for his healing touch, he left for a desolate place to pray. And when the disciples told him to get back to work, he left to another town to preach. Jesus knew the difference between the urgent and the important. He understood that all things, all the good things he could do were not necessarily the things that he ought to do. Let's open our Bible to Mark chapter 1. I think it's a good um, that we see Mark chapter 1. Someone read it, chapter 35 and 39. Through 39. Yeah, chapter 1, 35, 39. Very good. Thank you, Aaron. It is so comforting that our Lord, even with all the business business and all the demands that people had, that he, he set up his own priorities. You know, this is the time for me to pray. This is the time for me to say no. Yes, there are a lot of needs and urgent needs in this town. But right now, it is time for me to go and preach somewhere else. Um, the person who never set priorities 
is a person who does not believe in his own finitude. We don't, we don't expect to be able to buy anything we want because we know that there is a limit to our money, right? But somehow, we live as if time has no bounds, had no bounds, when in fact there's, time is much more limited than money. Wealth can be created, but no one has the ability to grow more time. All right, even Jesus said that you cannot even add one year to your, to a span of life. Um, as this uh, guy Peter Drunker observes, he says, the supply of time is totally inelastic. No more, no matter how high the demand, the supply will not go up. There's no price for it. There's no marginal utility curve for it. Moreover, time is totally perishable and cannot be stored. Yesterday time, yesterday's time is gone forever and will never come back. Time is therefore always an exceedingly short supply. Time may be our scarcest and most precious resource and we'll begin to use it well only when we realize that we not, do not have an infinite supply to use, end of quote. I think the, the interesting thing is we believe ourselves to be unique and I'm gonna include myself here because it, it, this is so true. We're unique, we just can't do two or three things at the same time. Uh, we're better than other normal people, but very likely we can't. Uh, there was this book that talked about that the brain really can't multitask and put the effort in two mental activities at once. We can do two things at once when one does not require mental effort, we can walk and have a conversation at the same time. We can eat potato chips, chips and watch TV at the same time. But you can't email and talk on the phone at the same time. Or finish a report and talk to someone at the same time. We may think that, I like the way that Kevin DeYoung puts it, we may think that we're multitasking, but we're actually switch tasking. And that, that's true for computers too. They give the appearance of multitask, multitasking, but in reality, they're switching back and forth between various programs at a rapid speed. If computers can't do two things at once, we certainly can't. Setting priorities can be difficult. Sticking to them can seem impossible. But Jesus understands the challenge. He lived with unrelenting demands and unbelievable pressure and he also knew if he were to accomplish the purposes that God had for him, he would have to pass 10,000 good purposes other people had for his life. The Son of God could not meet all the needs around him. He had to get away to pray, he had to eat, he had to sleep, and he had to say no. If Jesus had to leave with human limitations, it would be foolish to think that we don't. The people on this planet who end up doing nothing are those who are never realized that they couldn't do everything. So it is taking, um, I appreciate his own testimony. He said, it takes me a while for, to realize this, but now I do. And I absolutely believe it, that I can't serve others effectively without setting priorities. If I respond to every email, showing up at every possible meeting, have coffee with every person asking for just a few minutes, it, it, the pastor's life is like that. We know you have a sermon to prepare, you know, you have a class to teach, and 
and you have all these demands coming at you. And he said, I won't have time adequately to prepare for my sermon. I may help several people during the week, but I won't faithfully serve the many more who come on Sunday. If I attend every possible church function, I won't be there for my son's basketball game. Stewarding, my time is not about selfishly pursuing only the things I like to do. It's about effectively serving others in the ways that I'm best able to serve in the ways that I'm mostly uniquely called to serve. So with, with this said, I think it is something that we should be praying for, for humility to say, I can't do it all. Where are my priorities? This is kind of our next point here. Define your priorities wisely. Define your priorities wisely. Ephesians 5, 17, 18 says, not as unwise, but as wise. So I just want to make a clarification here. I don't want, you know, I, sometimes I, people walk to me and they say like, oh, I know you're so busy, but you know, if you have some time, just can we, can we, can we talk? I say, totally, I am open to that. But I might not say it's going to be this week or maybe not next week, but I can, you know, I have a calendar and I, I do put the dates. I really appreciate Eric who helps me with that. He's very good at sending reminders and, you know, we're helping each other on how to manage our time better. So um, I, I'm available, you know, and so are the elders. We just might have to, you know, postpone things. All right. So don't say, are you just busy? Don't pray for me then. <laughs> if you feel that, have that impression and pray for the elders. Um, but be encouraged that we are available. It's just a matter of we don't, might not be available immediately. And the other thing that I, I think it is helpful for us is to have the humility to say, we don't do the work of ministry all our own. The call for elders really is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So as we equip one another, we really help each other to um, help each other. <laughs> We train, we encourage them to be using their gifts and to help one another, to share the load, to share the burden, all right? Okay, define your priorities wisely. Because we acknowledge that the true comes, truth comes from Scripture, someone should make an effort to think biblically what God requires of them as their list of priorities. We should give careful consideration to the different areas in our lives and seriously evaluate Am I determining what is truly important from biblical values? The different roles in our lives require different levels of commitment. As a Christian, as a student, as an employee, as a husband, a wife, a son, a friend. Then one should try to define their priorities biblically. Because our time is limited, there's always the tension on what, which activities will take precedence over others. In other words, if someone spends too much time focusing on a certain activity, he might neglect other important activities. I appreciate what uh, Dr. Moser says here. Because our activities are relational and people in our lives have their own priorities, some of our activities will have limitations. In a window of time um, ha that we have for certain relationships will, cl will close at given times. Therefore, There'll be seasons in life that certain activities will take precedence over others. So they're not always a priority, but they might be more demanding. For example, the amount of time that parents of toddlers 
will need to spend with their children is different than the amount of time that parents would spend with their kids in college. So the relationship has matured through the years and the type of time involved in the instruction of an adult child is not the same that you would have for a toddler. So I'm gonna give you an example here from the time I was in seminary and this is how you kind of try to structure your own priorities. You know, what does the Lord require of me? What are my true responsibilities? And that's why he even calls this principle biblicize is you look at your priorities and look at them through the lenses of scripture. How would the Bible define this activity here that I am doing? So I, I say here, as a believer, I am called to be faithful to God in my pursuit of him, make priority in my daily pursuits by loving him and serving others. As a husband, I am called to be a lover to my wife, Lindsay, and to live her in an with her in an understanding way, First Peter 3, 7. And I am called to provide, lead, care for my family needs, First Timothy 4. 3, 5, and 5, 8. As a counseling student, this is when I was a student, I should be wise and apply God's truth to my own life first and foremost before trying to apply that to others. Ezra 7, 10, James 1, 22. As an employee of the Master Seminary Library, I'm to work wholeheartedly unto the Lord, according to Colossians 3, 23. And I'm also to seek out, instruct, and encourage younger men that I come in contact with in 1 Timothy 4, 3, uh, 13 to 16, and 2 Timothy 2, 2. As a church member, I have regular attendance, attendance in the church, um, Hebrews 10, 25, do not neglect the assembly of the saints, whereby I'm encouraging and being encouraged by other believers, and I should not neglect the fellowship with other Christians using my gifts for their benefit. Then, once you established which are your priorities, you, um, starting from the biblical directives, one should make an effort to describe what are these specific activities that take up their time and estimate approximately how much time as they attempt to organize their schedule. For example, um, talking about church attendance. Church attendance and service on Sunday mornings, it is 8.30 to 1 o'clock. After that, I might have lunch with friends from 1 to 3 and you, you just measure up, you know, if this, and then you look, if this is a priority for me, my relationship with my wife, then the times that I am at home, that I'm not working, this is what I'm going to try to divulge to all my time. Not all my time, but most of my time, if she is in my list of priorities. Then the last principle is exercise self-control. Do not be foolish or to not get drunk. So it's kind of based on that. We should try to answer the question, am I applying self-control with the use of my time? You know, and I, the previous sections, we already talked about distractions, different hobbies, and how we kind of look at hobbies. Is this being done for the glory of God, for the good of others, um, or just my own selfish pursuits? And then from there, trying to, to, to see, okay, it's just something fun. I can do it. I can enjoy it. So three principles he gives here is exercise self-control by doing the hardest task first. Second, exercise self-control by doing what you do with moderation. Yeah, it's okay for me to play video games, but it's not okay for me to be playing 10 hours of video games nonstop. Um, 
Three, exercise self-control by persevering when you are discouraged. I think that's one of the hardest thing is we start doing a task and it's hard and we just want to give up. But being wise does involve to trust in the Lord that he wouldn't have given us anything that he didn't equip us to do. Lastly, and then I will open for questions. I'm running, but I think, um, you know, maybe put a note there on the side of the notes so you can remember your questions. What about rest? I think one of the the most important things that we can get out of this uh, with self-control, kind of connected to self-control, is how then, how much should we work? How much should we be busy and how much should we rest? Um, We know that the Sabbath was a biblical principle given even at the creation, right? The Lord didn't need to rest after the six days, and yet he did say, you know, the seventh day he rested. Therefore, he gave the Sabbath. Knowing that what to believe about the Sabbath is harder than it looks. Some Christians believe little has changed relative to the fourth commandment, and Sunday is now a Christian Sabbath. Others argue that the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ, and now there's almost complete freedom with our weekly routines. A small priority, a small minority of Christians believe that Saturday is still the proper day for Sabbath rest and worship. And, you know, many people have written about this. My point is not to argue which day of the week you're going to do it. For me, I rested on Monday because Sunday is a day that I'm actually more busy. Um, But to put it simply, we should rest in Christ alone for our salvation, that we don't need to work hard to earn our salvation. So that's a, a, a blessing. But along with that, there is still an abiding principle that we ought to worship the Lord, the Lord's day, and trust God enough to have a weekly routine where we cease from normal labors. There are people that they can't come to church because they have more work to do, more work to do. Um, and I get it, you know, people that have uh, shifts like nurses or doctors, you, you call them duty, you don't, not necessarily, but they, but they have their day of rest. It's labor, um, law, right, that people need the, 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 their days off. Whatever your take on the specific do's and don'ts of Sunday, I hope every Christian can agree that God has made us from dust to need regular times of rest. He built into the creation order and commended it to his people. God's design was not to punish, I like the way he says it, to punish little kids with naps on Sundays or to drive us to boredom and an activity once every seven days. That was not the point. He made the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. That was Jesus' uh, response to the Pharisees. God gave us the Sabbath as a gift. It is an island to get to an in sea and have of have to. He also offers Sabbath as a test. It is an opportunity to trust God's work more than our own. Um, it was interesting, even when they were in the wilderness, that the Lord said, you know, I'm going to provide for you on uh, the sixth day in double. And you ought to pick up the manna in double because you, you're not going to work on, on the Sabbath. You're just going to rest and the food is not going to spoil. 
um, some people on the Sabbath, guess what they did? They went to look for it. They did not trust the Lord. Or some thought, you know, he's not going to provide on the eighth day, the Monday that was coming. They went and they looked at the food and it was spoiled. So it, it is a matter for us trusting the Lord um, that we can't control and we can't do it all. Um, he says here, uh, it is easy to find people who think work is good and leisure is bad, i.e. you rest to work. And I think I mentioned that um, you can also find people who think leisure is good and work is bad. You work to rest. This is a true extreme. But people that just think too much on vacation and they forget church, they forget to be involved in people's lives and other believers. Um, but then there's the other extreme where just work, work, work. According to the Bible, both work and rest can be good if they are done for the glory of God. The Bible commands hard work. And it also extols the virtue of rest. Um, Psalm 127.2. Can someone read it for us? Psalm 127.2. Actually, if you can read verse 1 and 2, I think it's helpful. Josh? All right. I, I just love this verse. It's just such a encouraging truth. God is providing for us even as we sleep. We have to trust him that we don't need to kill ourselves to try to do it all. I do understand there's some seasons in life that things will be more busy. But even in business, we do need to keep priorities. Um, both have their place. The hard part is putting them in the right places. Many of us are less busy than we think, but life feels constantly overwhelming because our days and weeks and years have no rhythm. He gives to his beloved sleep. Pursuing a pattern of work and rest means more than an annual retreat or a weekly Sabbath. It means quite practically a, day, a daily fight to get more sleep. When Proverbs talk about the sluggard lying on his bed, it, is, it has in mind a kind of person who would rather starve than strive. The person who would rather receive a handout than to put his hand to work. The chastisement is not warning to spend as little time as possible in bed. God made us to need sleep, and when we think that we can survive without it, we, only, we not only spurs the gift of sleep, we also show our mistaken self-reliance. We tend to assume that it's godlier to forego sleep for more important activity, but, more, uh, but God made us physical beings. We can't go without sleep very long without doing our bodies and our souls great damage. That's the way God made us, finite and fragile. He made us to spend almost a third of our lives not doing anything except depending on him. Going to sleep is our way of saying, I trust you, God and you will be okay without me. We raggle uh, each other with stories uh, of great saints who got up at four or five o'clock in the morning prayer, forgetting that in the days before <laughs> electricity, most people went to bed as soon as they got dark. Most of our heroes from bygone ages, he says, probably slept much more than we do 
And very few of us actually can survive, uh, let alone thrive, on four or five hours a night. I do it, you know, I have to confess it, even last night. <laughs> um, but that's not the norm. Um, and it shouldn't be the norm. We simply aren't getting enough sleep, the sleep that we need. And yet, natural limitations cannot be transgressed without consequences. I appreciate he makes this point. You can borrow time, but you can't steal it. You have to finish, say you have to finish a paper at 8 o'clock in the morning. You can't wait until the last minute and stay up all night to finish, and it may seem like you did a brilliant move. He says here, after all, what are you doing with the hours between midnight and morning anyway? You were just going to waste it in bed. So now your paper is done, and all you missed was one night of sleep. Good move, you. But all you've really done is to borrow time. You haven't gained any. Because you stayed up all night on Thursday, you will invariably crash on Friday. If not on Friday, you will sleep an extra five hours on Saturday. And if you don't catch up on sleep over the weekend, you will likely get sick next week. This was so true for me in college. And you're thinking, oh, I just, I just can't make it. And the paper was done and I was just crashed. And if you don't get, um, it says, or you'll get into a car accident when you are beyond exhaustion, or you will snap at your friend and, and cause a relational meltdown that takes weeks to mend. The time you thought you stole cannot be easily flinched, filched. You cannot cheat sleep immediately, and the longer you try to borrow against sleep, the more your body or God will force you to pay for those hours plus interest. Now, with all of this, and, and I include myself here, we just need humility to say, God, I need to trust you, and I need to be intentional on how I'm going to manage my time. It's hard to trust God, hard to let go, and hard to stop. When thinking about busyness, people talk as if hard work is the problem, but we're not actually in danger of working too hard. We simply work hard at things in their wrong proportions. If you work 80 hours a week and never see your kids or never talk to your wife, people may call you a workaholic. And no doubt you're putting a lot of effort into a career, but you may not be working very hard at being a dad or being a husband or being a man after God's own heart. We all know we need rest from work, but we don't realize we have to work hard just to rest to plan it. We have to plan for breaks. We have to schedule time to be unscheduled. That's the way life is for most of us. Scattered, frantic, boundaryless business comes naturally. The rhythms of work and rest require planning. I think that's a great quote there. All right, questions, comments now. Any practical things that you're pondering? Kathy, yeah, um, I, and I think that kind of goes back, Kathy, <clears throat> let me repeat que uh, Kathy's question here. She's saying, you know, now that, <clears throat> sorry, now that I'm retired, um, I do have more time, but I also have less energy and different activities. Where, where does that leave me? You know, am I doing too much or too less of something over the other things. 
And I think it, it is helpful for us to remind that one of the principles I said, you know, know your abilities um, that God gave you. So as we age, yes, we do have less energy. Acknowledging our limitations. I can't work as hard as I used to. I just remember my mom, I was just so, and she's retired now too. It was a struggle. She was just so consumed. She wanted to be cleaning everything. She wanted to be doing this or that, climbing trees. <laughs> she would be climbing trees to pick up fruit. Mom, the grandkids can do that. But, you know, I just know your limitations. You can't do certain things that you used to do when you were younger. Now, as uh, the other, other principle that came out here too was realizing that the times certain things that used to be priority that might not be as priorities as they used to be. So you have an adult son. It is different than you having a toddler. Uh, so the amount of time that you're spending with him. We should always be thinking in terms, what am I doing this for the glory of God? Um, or am I doing for my own selfish pursuits? Um, how can I engage others? Especially, I think it is a blessing and particularly if the Bible has instructions for widows and for the older woman to be teaching the younger woman. So that becomes now an added priority that you didn't have before as a young lady. <laughs> right? um, so writing down maybe, Kathy, what he says here with the um, biblicizing, right? trying to find the biblical principles. What, what am I? Okay, I am a believer. I am a mother. Um, I am a member of GCF, I am retired, I have uh, responsibilities with the government, or whatever it is that you have, you know, I have a stewardship of my body, I have to go to a doctor every month, so you have to schedule those things. So planning ahead and thinking, in how many hours of sleep do I require? So it, it takes time, but once you get those things down, it's like, boy, all of these things that I have been doing here is not really helpful. And, and, get, and let me give a warning, not only to Kathy, but to everyone, really. When you, you work on your own schedule and you're looking at your priorities, that's your priorities. That's not someone else's priorities. So if you, if you have a conviction that this is how you ought to be doing life, you do life that way because it's conviction coming out of scripture. You don't impose that on others. Uh, for some people, um, is spending three hours with their family is a pretty good amount. For other people, five hours or six hours is not enough. So don't try to push your preferences or priorities on others. I think that's a good way for us to, to think about that. Any other questions, comments? Yeah, I... I, I want to be careful with saying, you know, under, yeah, under, under Satan's yoke, um, I do think that he is trying to distract us, you know, and as even the passage that we study says that we live in evil days. So there, there are many distractions. But being busy not always means that you're sinfully busy, yeah, right? Well, I'll, Satan is Satan pulling you away yes. Yeah, yep, yep, that's a very good point. Um, um, to say, am I, am I being busy here 
because I'm being distracted. I think that's the question. Am I being distracted from my personal responsibilities? I, the, I love the little cartoon in the front there. They're working in the computer, everyone in this meeting, and they're all different, doing different things. They're not related to the meeting at all. So am I being pulled away by Satan's distractions or the world's distractions or my own sinful flesh, right? My own preferences. Sometimes we, there are things that we need to get done, but they're not very urgent. Just because they're easier, we're like, well, I want to do this one first, and then no. And then the hard one keeps being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and never get done. So, good. Very good. And uh, One more, Kathy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that has to do with we have limit, limits. We have limits of time. We have limits of our own abilities. Endurance. You know, we can't... Some people run really well. Uh, what is the name of the guy that does the uh, podcast world um, from Southern Seminary? Al Mohler. Al Mohler sleeps five hours, I think. He can roll with it. I can't. If I sleep five hours every, every day of the week, I'm shot dead. So it's just acknowledging our own limitations. You know, if, if, that's the thing that it's so prideful. We think we can do it all. That's pride. Humility will say, no, I am limited. I have limited resources and I have limited time. Does that help? All right. I know it's very, very convicting. I just remember praying um, <laughs> my way through this lesson and, and driving here and thinking, First John 1, 9, if we confess our transgressions, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, um, and to purify us from all uncleanness. And we have an advocate with the Father. I think the beauty of it all is not only he is our forgiver, he's also our model. That's why we keep our eyes fixed on him. Lord, you know how to manage your time perfectly. You were a very busy man, and yet you didn't let other people dictate what you're going to do you had your priorities right, and you were pleasing perfectly to the Father. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you with um, just uh, broken hearts. We know, Father, that we are so we squander our time in unwise and foolish ways. Pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to, um, to walk wisely to redeem the time that you have bought for us. We're not our own, we belong to you. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for all the times that we have wasted. May we not overlook these things or continue in these patterns, but take seriously and to examine our ways so that when you come, you may find us faithful. Lord, we wanna hear from your mouth, good and faithful servants. You're being faithful with a little. I'll give you being trusted too much. Lord, we're thankful for your grace and kindness. We know that we don't deserve to have sleep. We don't deserve to work. And yet you, gave, uh, you have blessed us with both. Let us honor you in all these things. Let us keep our eyes fixed on you who perfectly exemplified how to live a life to glorify you. We praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.